Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Creative Kindergarten Podcast. My name is Amanda, and I'm an early childhood educator in Ontario, Canada. And this podcast is a place where I talk about all things kindergarten. I pick a topic for the week, and I share my thoughts, my ideas, my learning around that topic. And for this week's podcast episode, let me tell you, I put it out there that I uh, was going to do a podcast episode about this. And if anybody had any questions to let me know, and I would try to answer them in this episode. Well, I got a lot of answers, a lot more than any other topic that I've asked about. Um, I regularly post in my Instagram stories about the podcast if anybody has any questions about a topic before I record so that I have an idea of what educators are wondering about and what they wanna learn about. But I put a question about sound walls in my stories on Instagram and I sure did get a ton of responses they all kind of follow the same line of questions. So it'll be, um, I'll try at least to answer all of the questions that were asked about sound walls in this podcast episode. Do you want to throw it out there? I'm like not an expert by any means on using sound walls or structured literacy instruction or the science of reading. I am continuously learning more, listening, and also, um, trying and putting different things into my practice. So I'm not coming to you on this podcast as like the expert that needs to, you know, that has all the answers or that is, has a perfect approach to a sound wall. Instead, this is just where I am in my learning journey of using a sound wall for the past two years and using it quite successfully, I would say. And so I'm excited to share with you the process of setting up a sound wall, why would we use a sound wall, and how my students use the sound wall as well. So let's just jump right in to this week's podcast episode all about sound walls. I feel like I've already said the words sound wall too many times and it's starting to lose um, any kind of meaning when I say it out loud. (laughs) But I think that's just going to be something that I'm not going to be able to avoid during this podcast episode. But uh, let's just jump into talking about what a sound wall even is. Uh, So if you've never seen or heard of a sound wall, I'm going to just Um, go into a few details. Uh, Traditionally, I would say that a lot of educators, at least the educators that I have seen or in the classrooms that I have seen or shown or talked about, uh, word walls have been the norm. So these would be alphabet cards when and underneath we would put high frequency words on little cards to match up with each letter of the alphabet. They usually would be in the A, B, C, D, E order. And each grapheme, like each letter, would have a picture attached to it. So like the letter X would have an X-ray or something. So um, traditionally, that is what I have seen in the classroom. And in all honesty, I have also used in the classroom. So if I think back to before COVID times and I was in the classroom, so that would have been like four, five school years ago. I would have been using a word wall in the classroom. But since I've learned more about sound walls, I have made the shift to using one in the classroom. And so how that differentiates 
uh, from a, a word wall itself is that a sound wall is set up around the sounds that the graphemes make. So not just like A has an apple and we put all the A words underneath that apple um, card for your word wall. Instead, we're shifting the focus away from just the, the letter itself to the sound that is associated with that letter. So A as a vowel has a short sound and a long sound. So in on my sound wall, I would have two separate cards, one with the short sound A, which would have a picture of something that starts with that sound A, like apple. And then it would also have the long sound A, which would have something attached to it with the long sound. I'm trying to remember what is on my A sound wall card and I'm drawing a complete blank. I think it's an acorn. So you would have those two separate cards put up. Same thing if we're talking about any vowel, but also some of the consonants that might have multiple sounds. So for the letter C, that has a soft and a hard sound. So it can either make the k sound like in cat or it can make the s sound like in cereal, for instance. Um, so when I'm teaching my students the sound for C that says k, I would have that one up, but eventually I do teach my students the soft sound for C making that s sound because it comes up so frequently in so many of the words that we see, like in center, circle, um, there's a few, and now I'm, I don't know why I'm blanking on every single English word that I can think of. Cylinder. Uh, there's lots of words that we come across in our day-to-day, -day, a lot of vocabulary that has the soft sound for C and G. And so I do incorporate that into my sound. Also, I would have two separate cards. Same thing for the digraph TH that has a voiced and an unvoiced sound. So like in the word that, the TH makes a voiced sound, but in the word thin or thread, it's an unvoiced sound that's often much um, softer. Um, so having those two cards on the sound wall. And it's also a, a shift to focusing on the sounds at the beginning of words, not the word itself. For instance, um, like uh, one of the questions that was asked is, do you still attach words to your sound wall? And when we had word walls, we used to ha often put little cards with words under each letter. And when we're looking at sound walls, oftentimes it's just a focus on the sounds instead of the words that could be um, put under each sound. There are some people, and I did this last year, but I didn't do this this year. And I don't know, quite frankly, I'm still trying to figure out which way is best, but some of the irregularly spelled um, or heart words that we are teaching our kindergarten students could also be put on your sound wall. But instead of you just, you know, like putting them under the letter, you're putting them under the sound that they make. And I'm trying to think of um, an example of this for a high frequency word that we teach that might be irregular, um, like the, T-H-E, the. Uh, I would put that under the digraph, TH, and it's got the voiced th at the beginning. So it would be under the voiced TH digraph. Um, so you can definitely add words up there. I have seen people adding words to their sound wall. Usually it is those 
heart words. I've talked about those in the past or um, irregularly spelt uh, high frequency words. Would I put a word like it on my sound wall? Not necessarily just because it's two sounds. Most of the time my students can decode or encode um, a two letter word like that. No problem. I would really um, save if you are going to put words on there. And again, I'm not sure um, what best practice is in this case, but if it helps your students, then definitely that's something that you can look into. I would only put um, irregularly spelt words on there. A question that often came up as well in that little sticker that I had in my stories was that should you have a word wall and a sound wall? And I think the short answer is no. Uh, we're moving away from the word wall aspect into a sound wall. And I think that if you even had both in your classroom, I think it would be one confusing and two, just take up a ton of room. Um, you don't necessarily need to have all that room taken up by two different um, like alphabet kind kinds of walls. And instead I would definitely with the shift on our understanding of how students learn how to read and it's really a focus on the sounds and attaching um, sounds to graphemes. I really think that a sound wall is your best bet and your biggest bang for your buck um, when you are setting up your classroom environment. And so how do I how do I even set up my sound wall? I've had that question a lot as well. When we start our school year off, it is blank. There is nothing up on our sound wall. There is not not even uh, the first letter that we are going to learn. Instead, what I do is every time I teach a new letter to my students, a new sound, then I put up the card with them. This serves a couple of purposes. One, um, the tool of a sound wall is useful for students who know how to use it and who can look to it to help them. If I haven't taught them any letters, then it's not going to be a useful tool in the classroom anyways. And second off, I want like I don't want to just throw up a bunch of letters and then it's just very confusing and overwhelming for students. Instead, if I add to it one letter at a time, it then becomes something in the classroom that is meaningful to them and that is a tool that they can use. And I've seen this happen with my students, especially this past year, where they often looked to it when they were trying to read or spell words, they would look to our sound wall for help with that because they knew where the letters were because we had used them so often and I had referenced it so often during our lessons. So I start off with a blank white, ours is on a whiteboard because that's the space we have in a classroom. Uh, and I have them all all the cards that I've made for my sound wall. And I will link the ones that I use in the show notes for you. Um, I have them all laminated and they're on magnets. This is major <laughs> for me because I'm constantly shifting it up or down. So I usually put the, the letters that we're learning, um, if like the first set of letters, I will put them down lower because like it's just a blank sound wall. And as we learn more letters, I move them up and up and up so that it makes room for more. And because they're on magnets, one, I can easily move them. Two, students can use them. Oftentimes students will be writing something and they'll be like, oh, I know the ch -ch digraph. It's a ch -ch digraph. And they will, and I, they will be looking at the, the sound wall and I'll say, just go grab the card, hun. 
and the kid will go over and be able to take the sound wall card off of our sound wall and bring it over to where they're working. And again, use it as a very powerful and meaningful tool so that they can write the letters associated with that sound. I know that classroom space is at a premium for a lot of for a lot of educators. So this might not be possible uh, to have that in your classroom, but I really have loved having it on magnets and accessible to my students so that they can use it in the way that they need. And I can also just move it around and not have to like retape or like shuffle things around. So magnets on a whiteboard is how I've done it. And I've added to it as we've learned letters, digraphs, vowel teams, and any other uh, sounds that we learn, I add to it as we go. I got asked a lot about vowel valleys. So if you've ever seen a full sound wall set up, uh, you will have noticed possibly that like the consonants are all separated by things like stops, liquids, glides, nasals, fricatives, and affricates. I do not do that. I don't have my consonants uh, separated by how the mouth is positioned when making the sounds. And I also vowel valley. Uh, it's literally um, like a V shape with the vowel sounds in it to match what the mouth shapes are doing um, when you're saying the sounds. I don't know how useful that part would be for my students. I definitely explicitly teach my students what their mouth, their lips, their tongue is doing when we're making each of the sounds, when I'm teaching them the letter sounds. But I don't know if having a vowel valley in the classroom would be a tool that they would use frequently. Uh, it would take up a lot of space. I'm not going to lie. I do not even know if I would have enough space to set up a sound wall in that way. And I feel like it might have been just a little bit more confusing to my students and a little bit more cluttered than what um, I'm currently doing. And so instead, I just put up the sounds in the order that I'm teaching them as I'm teaching them. And um, I put, you know, if A has two sounds, I put the sound the cards one on top of the other so that students can go to it when they need any reminders about the sounds. But I've never used a vowel valley in kindergarten. I would love to hear if there are some educators or some kindergarten educators out there that have used vowel valleys and have found some great success with them. I have in the past used posters with um, I've taken pictures of my students' mouth like making each of the sounds. And it's kind of hard because you have to make sure that their their mouth is positioned in the right way to make the sounds. But I have made posters for students to look at so that they can see the position of the mouth. If a student is having trouble with it, having trouble positioning their mouth in the right way for certain sounds, I'm thinking of like the sound for like F, like where your teeth have to be, or the sound S, where your tongue has to be behind your teeth. Um... I find it really great to pull out a mirror and I give the mirror to the student and the student can look at me making the sound and see where my tongue and my lips are and how open or shut my mouth is and then have them try it using a mirror. I find that super powerful, but I don't know how much of a how uh, useful a vowel valley will be. I could 
be eating my words this time next year and say, oh my gosh, everybody needs a Vowel Valley. But as of right now, I've not used a Vowel Valley in my classroom. A sound wall can also be as big or as small as you need it to be. So I've seen, you know, sound wall posters, which are like full page posters um, that, you know, some very lucky educators have enough space in their classroom to put up like nothing sticks to our walls uh we have tried every kind of tape every kind of sticky kind of uh adhesive to get things to stick to our walls but literally we'll put something up and then the next day it'll be falling down so we only have a limited amount of wall space in our classroom to set things up. So instead I use, um, and these are available in the um, posters and things that I was talking about before, they're like little rectangular cards and I use those instead. So really you can set it up to be as big or as small as you want. It really has to work for the space that you're in. Having it at students' eye level is really important. Uh, I've seen, you know, a lot of posters in the classroom, like alphabet posters and things um, along the top edge of the uh, wall space. So along the top, usually above like the whiteboard or something as somebody. And I've said this, I think, before on the podcast uh, as somebody who very much needed glasses when she was young. And I just had laser eye surgery last year because my eyesight is just so terrible and it's been life-changing it's been so great not having to wear contacts or glasses but as somebody who was a young child that could not see anything in the classroom having alphabet posters up there would have served zero purpose um so thinking about the classroom space that you have how can you set up your sound wall so that it is useful for students it's accessible to maybe they can um take the sound wall um, the sound wall cards off of the surface and use them. I also printed out, what I did was I printed out the full page posters from that pack and I printed them four to a page. And then I laminate, I cut them out and I laminated them and I put them on a ring. So whenever I go to do a review of the sound, the same order that I've taught them and the same order that they're on the sound wall on this ring. And every morning after I've taught a sound, I will review all of the sounds that we have learned and I will flip through that ring. So they have the association of the sound wall cards along with the cards that I have on the ring. And I have like um, a, a full page alphabet page laminated that I have at writing tables so that students can also use that so that it's more portable. It's like a little miniature poster that I just printed on a full page also, that is also included in my um, alphabet pack that I told you about earlier that will be linked below. So there's lots of different opportunities for students to interact with our sound wall in different ways. They can grab that ring of cards that I just spoke about and they can bring it over to a table if they want to. I can also use it for small groups. They can take the... Uh, cards off of our sound wall because they're on magnets or they can use the little uh, tabletop poster that I have printed and laminated for them. So finding different opportunities to provide those tools for your students and how that will work in your classroom is really important. So you have to reflect on the space that you have and then try to figure out what's going to work for your students and your classroom environment. But 
really thinking about it from the perspective of your students you know if they're sitting on the in the whole group learning area are they going to be able to see it um, are they going to be able to access it during the day you want it to become a tool i often refer to it when i'm teaching as well like if i'm talking about a sound at the beginning of a word i will point to the card i will have students point to the card i'm constantly referencing that as a tool in the classroom that students can use to really reinforce it because i want them to use it if a student is struggling, not struggling, but having a little bit difficulty writing a word at a table or, you know, wants to be able to write something or read something and they're asking me like, oh, what letter makes that sound or whatever it is, I'll ask them like, oh, what tool in our classroom can you use to help you with that? And oftentimes it just takes that for them to realize, oh, I can just go use the sound wall and I'll see them walk over there. So as an educator, you need to, like anything else in your classroom, you really need to explicitly teach how to use the tools that are available to students. Just like if you would put up math posters in your classroom where you would put up, um, I don't know, if you have pat if you're teaching them about patterning and you're putting up posters about patterning you wouldn't put up patterning posters at the beginning of the school year if you're going to start with sorting uh, you would wait until you're teaching students how to pattern to put up some um, posters or you know make an anchor chart with them whatever it might be you're going to wait to do that until you're teaching that skill and then you're going to reference that tool whenever you're teaching or reinforcing patterning skills the same thing goes for the sound wall you're you're just using it for a literacy skill instead of a math skill so to really sum up <laughs> sound walls versus word walls in general sound walls are one of those shifts that you can make in your practice to better align yourself with the science of reading and running a structured literacy program i will link a resource from reading it in the show notes as well so that you can see and read more about it if you are ever looking for resources on literacy instruction for your for yourself reading rockets is an amazing website that has so many articles on any subject you'd ever want so i'm gonna i'm gonna link the sound wall one show notes for you because um you know as i said at the beginning i'm not an expert in this <laughs> at all i've just seen what you know a focus on sounds has done for my students and how powerful of a tool a sound students and you know if you're thinking about well my students use the word wall all the time and it's it's working fine my word wall worked fine too but then when i moved to a sound wall it was even better <laughs> so i'm not saying like uh, again that my way is the best way to do it but it would be definitely something that i would highly suggest looking into and finding a way that works for your classroom and your practice as an educator and making that shift towards a sound a focus on sounds instead of a focus on words because if you want students to be able to spell and read on their own you really want to focus on the sounds if you're just focusing on one word at a time then that student can read the one word but if you are giving them the tool to be able to use all the sounds to read any word then students are going to just be better readers and writers in the end because they have all of those tools available to them to be able to read words 
And so that's just my two cents about sound walls. I'm really excited to hear your thoughts and your opinions on sound walls. Have you made that shift? Is that something that you want to shift to this upcoming school year? Please let me know. You can always reach out to me over on my Instagram at creative kindergarten blog on TPT. I'll link it in the show notes as well. Or you can always just send me an email, creativekindergartenblog at gmail.com. You can find me over on my blog as well, creativekindergartenblog.com. Lots of different resources out there for you for sound walls. I will link everything in the show notes, including my blog post about sound walls, my at well or like the headers that I use for my word wall and any um, articles that I find from reading rockets that might be really useful for setting up a sound wall as well and I also want to make sure that I am telling you guys give yourself grace when we know better we can do better you do not have to completely shift your whole entire practice and completely change everything that you do all in one go if you want to make a small shift in your practice like transitioning to a sound wall from a word wall is pretty easy Um, especially because you're starting with nothing on your wall you can just start with nothing in september and slowly build it with your students so this is just one of those easy little shifts that you can make um in in this school year without it becoming too overwhelming and it can be a part of your phonics routine so as soon as i teach a letter to my students using my um, explicit and structured phonics routine then i add that letter to the sound wall it's as easy or that sound to the sound wall i should say it's as easy as that and then you just keep adding to it throughout the school year and students love it Uh, we often count how many sounds that we know Uh, we will count all the cards that are up there and we'll say oh we know 13 sounds and then one of my questions was for them one time oh we know 13 sounds but we only know nine letters why is that and one of the students will raise their hand eventually and say well because our vowels have two sounds And it's powerful moments like that that really help students understand the English language and understand how they can use sounds when they're reading and writing. And a a sound wall is a great way, a great gateway to having some conversations about sounds as well. So yeah, let me know if you have any other questions. I'd be glad to answer them best of my ability, whether or not, again, I'm not an expert. So whether or not I'm able to answer those questions is a but um yeah i will link everything for you in the show notes thank you so much for listening to me to the very end of this episode and make sure you're following me on whatever podcast platform you're listening to me on i usually put out every uh new episodes every tuesday yeah thank you and i appreciate you being here have a great day